0: Time.
1: Saturday, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. I am so excited about this show. Who or what are you celebrating today? David Mayoko, he is in the wings. He may even show up. You never know. Uh, Alan is here, and my friend Yvonne Picout is here from, uh, I think he's in Paris. So we're around the world right now. But tonight, we're going to be celebrating James Beeman. He has a new show called lived experience. And trust me, he has lived it. Picture it, New York, early 90s, and the world of cabaret is going in a completely different direction. There is Judy Garland, Carol Channing, Lauren McCall, Marlena Dietrich, Barbara Streisand, or as someone says, facsimiles thereof. We were all making our names for ourselves in the world of cabaret. We all hit the boards at the same time in cabaret. And, you know, Tommy, you know, I miss Tommy. I haven't heard from him in a while. Stephen, God bless him, is still doing what he's doing, uh, Barbara Streisand. But you and I, we hung up our wigs, we hung up our gowns, we hung up our heels, and we decided to move on. Uh, And we have gone in other directions, and we're going to talk about some of those things now. We're going to talk about uh, the, you know, it's very interesting uh, when it comes to the world of impersonation. Uh, As I was prepping for today's show, I loved the clip, and we're going to see a snippet of it later on, uh, of you on Geraldo. And Geraldo asked if you were a transvestite, if you were a a drag queen, how do you define yourself? And I love your answer. Everyone stick around to the end of the show to find out what that answer is. Uh, But what do you think is the biggest misconception or perception that people had about who and what James Beeman was all about then and now?
2: (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know that anybody had a a preconception. I know that at the time I was trying to get attention. Uh, I had just come to New York in the summer of 93, so it's been 30 years. Uh, And I wanted to be noticed as an actor. I wanted to break into uh, the the theater, really. And uh, I just happened to be playing Lauren Bacall, which was something that I resisted doing with every fiber of my being but the the man who helped me create that show was so funny and the material was so ridiculous I thought well you know what's the ultimate transformation for an actor right uh and I was a makeup guy and all that stuff so I thought well let's give it a go and of course you know you know how it goes Richard you take it on and it has a life of its own and I have no regrets in fact I celebrate it in my show uh I really do I you know and i Listen, the show I was doing before you had a picture of it in that montage, uh, which was so beautiful. Thank you. Uh, I was doing La Cacha Fall when, when COVID hit, and in a beautiful production in Florida. Uh, so every now and then, you know, they get me back into the back into the corsets and the wigs and the and all of that stuff. But um, preconception, well, back then, I think it was, I think it was hard for those of us who were doing this kind of gender play thing. And I think people thought, well, you're a drag queen and that's what you do and and whatever. But interestingly, within the community, within the gay community, um, there were so many different forms that it took. You know, you and I were doing famous divas and creating illusion and doing all of that, which is something that I think is really largely a lost art right now. I do uh, sure. and right. And then there were the people who were, I mean, Charles Bush always said that that he was a, a, an actress, you know, uh, uh, because he wrote all travesty roles for himself. But then you had the personalities, Miss Coco Peru, who is still going strong, who I've always been an admirer of, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, had a lettuce, Valerjean Merman, Chiquita, you know, you had these characters uh, and they had their own following and they had their own things. So there was room for everybody. Um, so I guess the preconception now, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, one of the reasons I took on this show was to prove to myself, not to prove, but to, to encourage myself that I'm not done
0: at mm-hmm.
2: 58. I'll be 58 this month.
1: Oh, you're a baby. Uh-
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. you.
1: I, I, there, There's so many parallels, you know, in the story that I'm hearing. I came to New York in 79. Um, And I, when I started doing cabaret, and I think you and I talked about this before, when I started doing cabaret, I was doing a lot of showcases in New York. I was going from showcase to showcase to showcase as an actor, Uh, not getting paid anyone. uh, So, but uh, I was burning out and I wanted my own, I wanted to create something for myself. So I didn't start out doing Carol Channing. Uh, That basically fell into my lap. And you said something that like a light bulb going off over my head. Hmm. I also was re I was reluctantly pulled into that direction because it was not something that I actively pursued at that time. Uh, But I want to ask you, because for me personally, um, and it could have been the fact that I was performing as Carol Channing. I don't know. uh, But actually I really wasn't embraced by the uh, gay community. Uh, Hmm. The gay community uh, did not know what to do with me because I was not this over the top drag queen. Over although I was playing an over the top persona, I didn't make fun of her. I didn't put a spin on her. And you also, being an incredible actor that you are, you presented these icons exactly as we saw them on screen and on television.
2: So mm. did you have the same experience? Um, you know what. There's always going to be a faction in our gay male community. I mean, there's the acronym is so long now. I was saying we just had national coming out day and I said, we don't, we have so many categories now of people, you know, in this acronym, we need national going in day, I know. you know, uh, but, uh, there's always been a faction that is very so kind of superficial and they're really about the body beautiful and hooking up and all of that. And they just want to kiki and laugh and, and stick some dollar bills down, down some divas cleavage. And they're not, they're not educated in, in the divas. Uh, but there are many who are, and they're not just gay people. And that was my experience. Um, my experience of it was, and, and you know, what you and I did, even though it is, seems not to be part of the culture right now, uh, but I'm sure it'll be back. Um, was something that they should have been familiar with. Because c- before I ever came along, there was Jim Bailey. There was TC Jones. There was um, Craig, Russell. Uh, uh, Craig Russell, the great Craig Russell. Uh, uh, Jimmy James was already doing his thing. And the late, great Randy Allen was my oh. mentor. Wonderful oh, I, actor, uh, doing P.S. Betty Davis, and these people were not fringe acts. T.C. T.C. Jones hosted the New Faces of 1956 on Broadway as to Lula Bankhead. He was, you know, and and and. Jimmy James and, and Randy Allen, they were on, we used to have daytime talk shows, children, <laughs> like mm-hmm. Donahue, and and uh, they were on, and like I wasn't with uh, Geraldo in 94. Uh, so it wasn't like it wasn't mainstream in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the illusionists, I think, had a, a better time of it. I think, you know, when RuPaul broke through with Supermodel and all that in the early 90s, I remember marching on Washington and I' seen the stage show, and it was the first time I had ever seen Rupaul, and she came out with her Wonder Woman costume with the blonde wig, and we all yes. just went, "Oh my God!" Uh, but there's always a stigma in the gay male community against femininity. Uh, because it's always about who's more masculine. They don't use the term straight acting anymore. Thank God. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there's always a premium placed on being masculine. And the drag stuff is for fun, but we really are, you know, the currency is the guys who are butch, I guess.
1: Well, when you were doing this, I mean, I loved what was, for me, I was loving what was going on on stage. But it was like, I I really want people to take me seriously, you know, uh, offstage. It's very interesting. I would always say I could go into a party and someone, a stranger could say, well, what do you do? And I could say, I'm an entertainer. And they light it like a Christmas tree. And then I could say, I perform as Carol Channing. And they create an entire idea of who they think I am based on that one phrase. And did you uh, have uh, a dichotomy going on inside of you while you were performing uh, as Marlena? And
2: um, were you fighting this as well? Um, Look, I mean, I think, you know, I came out in 1984 and I was in college. I was at Boston University studying serious acting. And it was a very big deal to be out. I don't think young people understand Mm -hmm. You know, I worked with Richard Chamberlain when I was on tour with Monty Python's Spamalot. Richard was one of the first actors who was outed in the 80s, uh, and it shattered his life for a long time. And he withdrew to Hawaii and kind of just left the business. Um, It was a big deal to be out. And I had been bullied for years, and I was being bullied by my acting teachers, many of them gay, I might add. (laughs) Uh, And I thought, no... No, I'm going to be who I am. And, and so that eased the transition into doing the female impersonation. But I, I, had, I didn't want to do it. Oh, no. I was like, this is going to pigeonhole me. Because at that time, the kind of representation that, that is possible now wasn't possible then. You know, I do two numbers in my show, Lived Experience, from the musical Everybody's Talking About Jamie. And I hope you've seen it. Uh, but it's this West End musical, this big hit over there. I don't know why it never came to Broadway, but they made a film of it. And it's based on the true story of a teenager in a kind of a British industrial town who wants to be a drag queen and wants to go to the prom and drag. And it is the most, and I wept the first time I watched it because I thought, imagine if that had been there for me when I was a little gay kid. I mean, we didn't have that. So I think, yes, of course, I struggled with it, but that made it all the more important to me that especially Marlena Dietrich, because Lauren Bacall was a bit camp, but she was a big camp. Uh, <laughs> but the Lauren Bacall uh, stuff, the Marlena stuff was something I curated. I didn't want to just, I never worked in a mirror. I don't know how, what, your Carol Channing was always uncanny, but I never worked in a mirror I studied her, immersed myself in her films, her performances, her recordings. She had a huge, long career. Then I worked with David Mayako, you know, and David would take obscure recordings of Marlena singing art songs in German from the 30s that are not in print. And he'd listen to them and he'd come back and play it. I know. Uh, so So we were historians, we were archivists, we were dramaturgs, but we were also, I was trying to create, I wanted to see if it were possible to be a male performer putting on a female character without it being for for laughs without uh, uh, just trying to be that person and i think we're in a a tough time now where you've got we're where everything everybody has to stay in their lane apparently yes. and um That's not who I am as an actor. I've always been the man of a thousand faces. You were very kind to show that montage, which, by the way, I kept getting older and younger and older. (laughs) But but I I like disguise, and I thought that was the craft of acting, was to just disappear. You know, you do that. Mm -hmm. But you, I mean,
1: the Lauren McCall show led to your working off-Broadway. Uh, yeah. Was it When Pigs Fly or Whoop-de-Doo that you actually went into first?
2: Do. doo They were in, yeah, they were going into previews and I was playing Monday Nights at nine at Don't Tell Mama, a complete unknown quantity for like three people. And somehow they found out about me and the creatives, Philip George and Howard Crabtree and the, the creatives of that show came and saw me and they needed someone to cover nine guys in a musical review uh, and cover uh, uh, Tommy Femia who was one of those nine and he did a spot as Judy in the second act and they needed a cover who had an impersonation. So they saw my show, they bought me a drink afterwards, they said you can, can you be here in 3 weeks. I was living in Boston. And uh, I was like, okay. <laughs> and uh and I came and I and I was working at the Actors Playhouse. For uh, for $350 a week, setting up props and covering all nine guys. And and uh, Fred Barton and Peter Morris wrote a fabulous song for me to do in the event that I went on as Lauren Bacall, which I never did. Tommy never missed. Uh, but it ended up in my act for years. It was called Star Quality. And uh, I mean, Fred well, let me Knight, ask
1: you, because Tommy yeah. did leave the show. And I remember when Tommy left the show uh, to do the show that he did at the Blue Angel. Um yeah. Were you still with the company at that time, or had
2: you moved on? I was the first one to go. Uh, it, it created some a bit of a, a drama for me, uh, but I, I wasn't making enough money to live, and my ex was living with my mother, which almost killed us all, and uh, we needed to get him here, and we needed to get a place of our own. I was sleeping on a friend's floor, God bless him, one of my college friends, good friend, but I just wasn't making it, you know. And uh, I heard about auditions for the Blue Angel show, which was sort of a transplant of the Vegas Lacage Review, which had been there mm-hmm. forever. And they hired me and then Tommy heard that I had been hired to do this thing that paid double the money. And uh, he went in and auditioned and they they decided to take us both on because we both had used our own voices and the rest of the the company were spectacular drag artists who lip sync, and we both left uh whoop-dee-doo but I'm the one who got uh accused of being a traitor and uh and told that I had screwed everybody over because Tommy leaving would would have been fine if I could have stepped into his track um but I no regrets Tommy and I had a blast during the Blue Angel show and we got on Geraldo well, and saw... you
1: did When Pigs Fly because I saw you When, when Pigs mm-hmm. Fly
2: yeah i came in uh the second year of the run of when pigs fly which was the next uh sort of incarnation of the howard crabtree magical gay review uh a little a little higher production value was at the douglas fairbanks theater which is behind used to be behind me down on 42nd street um yeah and i covered all five guys in that show Well, you know, after doing these shows for a while, you made the
1: decision that uh, you were going to pursue a, quote, unquote, legitimate acting career. Not that you weren't doing legitimate acting at the time, uh, but you you left and went back to school. Uh, was that an easy uh, decision for you to make at that time? What, were the, what was the final moment that you said, Ooh.
2: this is what I have to do for James Beaver? Well, this is the thing you know i always wanted my parents were theater people and i was i started acting at 12. my mother had her own school and company when i was 14 tiny little grassroots company so but being an actor was all i ever wanted to be being a drag uh, diva was was just kind of part of the Mm -hmm. the journey i thought you know and what happened was david Mayako and i created two shows together uh, one with me in Top Hat and Tails is Marlena, Black Market Marlena. And then we did a recreation of Marlena's Cafe de Paris concert in the 50s um, in London. And we did it at the Firebird. And it's a very elegant show. And I wanted to take the two shows and put them together as a double bill and move them to a theater. And we were starting to get some investor interest. And that's, I was putting my, everything on that horse, you know, to get me... Into the theater as a starring performer, and then of course Pam Jim's play Marlena came to Broadway with Sean Phillips, and it was a flop, and all my investors went. Nobody wants to see Marlena, and uh, and I realized I had I gone as far as I was going to go, and I was as good at it as anyone had ever been, and as I was ever going to be, and so I publicly retired the act, uh, which is hard to do. Mm -hmm. um when people love you and when you become a part of the community and people you know they want you to they want that continuity but i retired the act on marlena's 100th birthday in 2001 uh and proceeded to figure out what i was going to do next i had gone bankrupt because I had been producing a cabaret act on a Visa card uh, to the tune of many thousands of dollars. And I was working as a makeup artist at Henry Bendel in retail, and I was a freelance artist. And after 9-11, that Christmas season, the retail market just crashed. And I lost my job with no notice, with no backup, and I had to go bankrupt. And then I just sort of took a year to figure out what, 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 how do I reclaim my work? And I heard about the Shakespeare Theater Academy for Classical Acting in DC. It was only in its second year at that time. And it was a one year master's degree in the work that I had always wanted to do in in Shakespeare. And I thought, what the hell, I'll audition. I don't know. I don't have any credit. I don't have any money, but I'll audition. And I did. And they accepted me on the spot and found me money. And I, I went to DC and I became a full-time student. I was almost 40 at the time. And I studied Shakespeare for a year and grew a beard and learned how to do sword fighting and, and moved in a new direction, which, which was very fruitful. And it actually, everything, Mm -hmm. nothing's ever a waste. You know, this Richard, I know, I know, you know, having that foundation of craft and of knowledge has stood me so well and has actually allowed me to do drag roles in even more interesting pieces and with more complexity and more. I did, uh, so many great shows, mystery of Irma thepp and, and, uh, I did a show, uh, by Matthew Lopez who wrote the inheritance called, um, um, the legend of Georgia McBride that just a few years ago, playing a veteran drag queen, uh, that required real chops. And, um, no regrets but i do know that the cabaret community that i was so much a part of as 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 you as well thought that i was going oh i'm i'm too good for you people i'm out of here and that's not what happened i just wanted to make a living let me, let me as me ask actor. Let, no let, let me i want to stop you do okay. you really believe that that's what they thought i know it is i know some people thought that but don't you people, feel that
1: yeah. uh it's uh I think that people, first of all, the cabaret community is a fishbowl, and it's really crafted by four to five people. When you think about it, <laughs> you and I can talk about that at another time. <laughs> but but there are so many people who, well, I'll put it out there. Uh, I made a living for twenty years uh, performing as Carol and the 34th annual cabaret convention uh is coming up once again and i've yeah, been yeah. doing this for 40 years and that's not all i do but i've never been part of the cabaret convention uh, have you performed in the cabaret convention
2: no and that you know back in our day when we were doing that stuff uh full time donald smith who who ran the mabel mercer foundation he didn't he didn't think that we were legit right uh the cabaret Echelon, upper echelon, was all about the great singers and and Margaret Whiting and Bobby Short and Karen Akers and and all the great singers. And there are, I mean, Julie Wilson was our biggest fan, as you recall, mm-hmm. Richard Skipper. Julie Wilson would always come in, the in the front row with her ball cap on and cheer us <laughs> on. She was not that girl, you know. Uh, but yeah, they had a certain idea of what that was. But time times change. And no. uh, it's we lost so many clubs. I don't know about you, Richard, but every single club I worked at, except for Don't Tell Mama, God Bless Him, is gone now. I know, I know. I worked for almost a decade in the nightclub scene in New York, and it has vanished. A lot of it has vanished, so yeah, it's very different now. But Conway well... Convention, no.
1: Well, you are, uh, you are, uh, this is, uh, I I love in um, Sunset Boulevard, where she says, it's not a comeback, it's a return. Uh, And this is a return. Uh, You're coming back uh, to do this show. Uh, What feels different
2: for you? Everything. I mean, I was saying yesterday, we did our band rehearsal yesterday, I got to tell you, David Mayako. It's been tough because David lives in Connecticut now with his husband, and uh, David's got a very, very oh, there he is! In his beautiful home. By the well, city. hello, Hi
3: <laughs> yeah. guys. I'm enjoying this. Wow, this is amazing.
2: Uh, I don't know. We Richard and I share so much history. We could talk for hours, but uh, I said well, to David-, David,
1: "I'm so glad that he said yes to doing this today because David, you're so much of a, a part of our history."
3: I know it's 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 amazing. I I know. Of course, I joined you guys later on in after you had been doing this for a while, but I had the pleasure of actually working with most of you and, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. I mean, I knew your history when I, when I joined you guys, but, but to hear it told even now and the journeys that you guys have taken and where you are is just, it's really cool to have been part of it. So. Well, I was
2: about to rave about you, David Mayako. I mean, when I decided to do this, you know, probably ill-advised project uh, of, of doing a cabaret. Um, I can't do this without David. David and I had this magic alchemy of this meeting of the minds. We have similar aesthetics. We have similar uh, work ethic. And, uh, and we made each other better. And we still are. And, uh, you know, David's David's going to talk about his career, but he's a big drag queen now, too, playing Liberace. He is Liberace. the number one Liberace <sighs> impersonator. It's both
3: of your faults. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: I'll well, take it. You, uh,
1: uh, James, you want to uh, raid first, or do you want me to raid?
2: Well, I just wanted to answer your question uh, uh, to say to you that I said to David yesterday, we had our band rehearsal. We have Matt Scharf, Glass on bass, David Silliman on drums. Uh, Dave, the three of these men just went... <laughs> it was like, it was like butter. And, uh, I've got these three, I've got Sierra Rhine, Alex D'Souza and Goldie as my backup girls. I mean, they're like divas divas. And at the end of rehearsal, I felt so much better about the show. It is an uplifting show. And, it, but I have never been on stage as myself ever. Wow. I have never just been Jamie talking as Jamie from my experience, uh, and I feel very exposed because <laughs> I've been hiding behind characters my whole life, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that part of it is really scary. Um, but I think it, we live in a time of great, uh, 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 uh pretending mm-hmm. and great, uh, 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 deception. And I think it's time for some authentic authenticity and honesty and truth especially from people of my generation and older. I think we need to remind the youngins that we've got riches to give while we're Mm -hmm. still here. (laughs) And uh, coming back together with this man, you know, the level of quality. This man didn't sleep for three nights so he could create charts worthy of his arrangements for this show for these band guys to to read. So I couldn't be happier. And I'm going to let David talk now.
3: (laughs) Well... I thank you. You know, it's an honor, such an honor to work with you. And, um, you know, it's funny what, what you were just talking about. And it's kind of just wanted to mention because I, 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 I will never forget things as long as I can remember them at my age now. <laughs> um, but Richard was of, of, of my guys, my girls, You, you were my, all my girls that I played for that I got to create magic with. Um, and it was magic what all of you created for sure and still do. But yeah. Richard was the really the first one to sort of step out and do that scary thing, you know, on his own and 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 not not just play a character, or 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 the art that was his Carol Channing, you know. And and it's I, I it's amazing what you've done with it, Richard. You've just gone. No, so you know, I
1: appreciate you're saying that. You know, I I feel you know perceptions. You know what we feel inside and how the rest of the world sees us. You know, it, uh, who, was, who was it that said, oh, what power the gifty us to see ourselves as others see us? Um, it, you know, I uh, I find that even it's been, believe it or not, it's been over almost 20 years since I last appeared as Carol. Wow. See? And a lot of people still think of me as
2: Carol. And um, they should. <laughs> but not exclusively. No, it's you're, taken... you've you've become such an incredible messenger of a positive message. But you are always that way, and mm-hmm. you're an incredible interviewer, and you're an incredible, uh, 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 you know, advocate for for art and artists. I mean, so I just okay. I I'll stop. But but what I was going to say is that I
1: still feel that. And perhaps this is life, you know, perhaps this is something we all feel all the time. But I still feel that I am still having to prove myself. Uh, And that is, you know, perhaps both of you feel the same way. (laughs) Perhaps you don't. I don't know.
2: I feel like I have to prove to myself more than to others other people. I mean, yes, I feel very kind of, I, I'm very nervous about going out next week and getting on stage as myself and singing with my own voice. And, you know, I, I sing in my over 40 keys, as Billy Porter says, you know, uh, And I, but I'm tapping in this show. I'm doing all kinds of things. And I've had a career as an actor in regional theater for the past 20 years myself outside of this circle of cabaret nightclub. They, I don't, I'm bringing so much experience and life and craft and all these things to to the stage. I don't know what's going to happen. But I will say that I I do magic, feel like I have something to prove to happen. myself. <laughs> well, it better be. <laughs> but um yeah, I don't magic. feel like I have anything to prove to anybody. In fact, the reason I'm doing this is is to be vulnerable and is to encourage people to be themselves warts and all. We lost I lost almost everything the past 3 years. My mother Health, I know, I know, money, opportunity, and I realized I was a hamster on a wheel. I was pursuing this acting career. I didn't never wanted to work a day job ever again. And I was like, I am gonna. And I hustled and hustled, and I gave up a lot of a lot of things that people.
1: And now with the SAG, yeah. after, who knows if they'll ever get back to it
2: it'll come back it'll come back and it's been killing tell my coaching business and it, but david know, must feel the same way i mean you you walked away from musical directing to to and and a lucrative day job i did to pursue being liberace and to being david because david is a pretty terrific personality yeah. himself which is on display this is really kind of a duo show and i did it on purpose because david's a fabulous actor and singer and he's funny and it's going to be great. But you know, that was hard for you too, David, wasn't it?
3: Oh, it was, it was, it was very difficult. I mean, I did, I left New York. I left, I, I found, you know, I, there was, there was, there was a self-confidence issue, even though, I mean, when I was working with you guys, when I was working in truly my element of recreating that magic of, you know, the, the experience of, and, 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 you and Jamie and Richard, both. You guys talked about it earlier on. Go, both.
0: go
1: further, David. I mean, with all honesty, it was almost, Jamie just mentioned the hamster wheel. You were on my hamster wheel. I,
3: I mean, sure was.
1: You were doing show, uh, you were churning out shows and charts and arrangements and doing all this thing. Um, you were doing the yeoman's work of 20 people.
3: Yeah. I was, I I was very lucky to get as popular as I did early on. And especially in, in our little niche that, that was my favorite to work in. Um, you know, and if, and if I could have just done that, I, I could have been very happy doing that, but you can't, you can't make everything happen just with that. You've got to do a bunch of other things. And it really was a hamster wheel. I was, you know, I wasn't ready for it. And uh, you know, a life of, Uh, working in an office and then a corporate gig and money and never worrying about, uh, you know, where the next meal's coming from, or can we, you know, get gas, all that stupid stuff. Um, None of it ever made me happy, but it, it made me secure, but you can only run and hide from yourself and who you are for so long before, before this gets you, the people who love you and understand you get you and sort of, sort of call you back you know and and the the Liberace thing was really a dare I mean because I worked with all of you guys and it was so brilliant your work was so brilliant you all taught me something different and there is a piece of every single one of you that I worked with as a music director in my Liberace well I know with me it's
1: the
2: rings
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yes, um, uh, the summer
2: diamonds. Yes, the no, uh, summer diamonds. Forgive me
1: if I ahead. use the wrong uh wordage here, uh, but working with Chuck Sweeney, another brilliant artist, one of my favorites. I just love him. Uh, I think he's one of the funniest people on the planet. No doubt, and I am such a fan of his. Consistently
2: um, brilliant. But
1: just the funniest thing. I mean, when I hear fire on the radio. It's James Freeman's <laughs> voice when I hear "Fever." It's James, uh, uh, not James. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, Dwayne. Dwayne. Yeah. I mean, he has affected these songs on such a level with me. Yeah. But um, and again, um, with all due respect, was he almost like a security blanket for you to come into that to do Liberace?
3: One hundred percent.
1: And was it difficult for you to go off and start doing it on your own?
3: So. Chuck was part of the original plan of this dare of oh you should do this sometime you know and I and I thought to myself you know because Jamie had encouraged me a lot when we were in Berlin on tour he was and, talking
2: about it back then in 1999. yeah I was talking about
3: it and then you know a lot of people were pushing me to do it and um you know the whole idea of Lee Liberace and Peggy Lee and the fact that Chuck and I because Chuck was um Tommy's understudy and I will come back he was his he was his his Standby. He was a standby. He was not an understudy. He was a standby. And uh, he stood by except for one day and did two shows. Um, but we became very good friends because he was always on set. And, uh, you know, and of course, his Peggy is brilliant. It's just so brilliant. And he really was a security blanket as a friend, um, as as a good balance against because I really when I first started doing Liberace, Now, now it's really, it's, it's so much of me in it and not as not just Liberace, but when I first started, I really had the Jamie Marlena model. I only did things that he said the way he said them, things he played, (laughs) things like that. It was that sort of model. My crowd work was very much like, like yours, Richard, where it was very much like, okay, I was I was I'm not as funny as you, Richard, with the crowd, but I, I'm getting better. But it was always respectful. It never pushed as far as it kind of does now. But um, Chuck had that complete different take on this character. He's able to still, you know, that, that's the brilliance of Chuck. He, there's the respect of Peggy, yet it is so far off in in, in yeah. you know in, in laughter land. It's belly laughs. I mean, he really just makes your sides hurt. He's that funny. Um, and,
2: subtle. And, and subtle. And subtle.
3: Because it's all because it's all believable. Because it's all it really is authentic. And she had some wacky years there, of course. But it That's is authentic. It. You That's know? why so, you
2: have to study them and you have to go through that period of time where you're curating all the mannerisms and all the, yeah. the vocal tics and all that until it's just a part of you. And yeah. then you can well, channel. both yourself. know you know
1: it's it anybody, and I do mean anybody. With the right makeup artist, and James is one of the best makeup artists. Oh, God, yes. Um, with the right makeup artist, you truly anybody watching this show can be made to look like any major Hollywood celebrity. Yeah. You, you can walk on, on stage, you can walk on stage, you can be that persona, but are you going to be able to hold the audience's attention for an hour or two hours in some cases? That's and right. that's the real rub with this. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I really love in this business, um, It it was not just about me, and I know I can speak for you, James, and David, uh, when I say this, of just being in the spotlight and saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Um, It's about the whole collaborative process and everybody that comes together to make this happen. Um, I'll start with you, James. If you can talk about your collaboration with David Mm. and what's coming through, especially now with this upcoming show.
2: Well, you know my parents were theater people and my mother started a theater company using a $250 income tax refund check with three kids to support and a mortgage. Um, So I come from grassroots where let's put on a show. My mother, if my mother wanted to do a production, she'd go, what can I sell? What's left to sell? Uh, So for me, cabaret was my aperture into New York because it's still, and I direct wonderful cabaret artists now, and it, you got to be willing to lose the money that you spend because <laughs> it's not about that, but you can create exactly what you want to create and people come David and I met uh, through because he was working with Tommy and doing such a brilliant brilliant work with Tommy and others and. um he started playing my Lauren Bacall show because Sidney Meyer loves my Lauren Bacall. And he was like, wanted me to bring it back. And um, Ricky Ritzel had played the show. A bunch of people had played the show. And David and I started working. But it was when Irv Rabel, may he rest, came to me and said, I want you to do a Marlena show for 88s, but it has to be a brand new show. And I had this idea. Because, you know, Marlena pushed the gender thing. She invented all this stuff, okay? Uh, but, uh,
1: excuse me. Where did he get the idea for a Marlena show? Had you... Talk about I had already,
2: no, I had already done one. Uh, the Blue Angel, just to truncate this little history, if I can, mm-hmm. uh, the Blue Angel Supper Club was owned by a woman who was a Marlena fan. So a couple of months into doing the show there, she said, you know, would you consider doing Marlena? I'll pay for a costume and a wig and we'll do a number as Marlena in the show. And as soon as I started to study her, I was like, this is an object lesson in s- subtlety and in just standing there and emanating a presence. And as you can see, I am not the subtle. <laughs> so it was like an acting challenge. And I thought, well, gosh, let me see where I can go with this. I recreated her 1970s when she was an old lady uh, a concert with Bert Backrack. I called it Queen of the World. I did it at Steve McGraw's, which is now the triad where we're opening next Are you year. Coming back? Yeah, 97 it was. And I got the Easter award Let me tell them
1: a story. Uh, James and I were on the Intrepid together um, with Tommy. Tommy, and we were on the Intrepid. And someone, uh, this was when they had these huge cameras, and someone went to take a photograph, and they were standing in front of one of the speakers. And when the flash went off, it sounded like a bomb went off (laughs) on the Intrepid. And without missing a beat, do you remember this, James? I without, don't. Without missing a beat, James said, "I was in the war," <laughs> <laughs> and you were, you were, you were so calm because everybody jumped, and you did not even flinch. And you were there, and you that line came out, and it was one of the funniest things I think I've ever experienced. So committed.
2: Well, you know as well as I do. You know they get in there. It's hard to get them out. You know, those, they, those ladies, those ladies, they become part of your DNA. You know, but David and I met, uh, 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 we met with this idea of me, a male actor doing a female character in a male costume. And I wanted to do a show that was completely sung through where the songs told the story. I wanted to recapture an era of the 30s and the, that sort of cabaret dark, sort of cabaret mystery. Mysterious kind of atmosphere. And David, his ear is impeccable. His artistry, his, his, just his technical mastery of what he's doing on the piano is brilliant. And we pushed each other for authenticity and truth, but we also created a whole backstory that never got articulated uh, in any sort of a verbal way in the show. And Marlena and, his, and her piano man had history and when you watch video now, when I watch video of us together, it's all this low-level sort of subtle storytelling that's going on. We just had a connection uh, as I don't artists. I remember.
1: Um, did you have an outside director for that show, or was it just the two of you?
2: No. Never had a director. Uh, I love directing people now. And I've got a beautiful friend named Dan Cooley, who was a former rock cat who now does shows for MGM and is a director and choreographer in her own right. She's providing me with some outside eye. But I know, I I don't know if it was my audacity. I've always had a bit of an ego. I'm a little short terrier with a Napoleon complex. But I also didn't want to do an outside in because I felt like Marlena, for me, I had to feel it. I didn't want to observe myself. I wanted to feel it and and let the music and let, and David really directed me a lot emotionally because he created this whole uh, uh, musical, emotional underpinning to everything. So we made each other better actors. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
2: We really David, did.
1: What about you as Liberace? I mean, you know what you're doing. You've got the instincts, they are all there. But do you have an outside director directing you?
3: So Chuck was really, you know, it's funny because I I thought it was going to be easier than it was. You know, I thought okay, the music, I'll learn the music. That's fine. And as we started rehearsing, Chuck would subtly just turn to me and and say something as Peggy, and then he'd say, "Well, answer me as Lee," and I'd be like, "Oh no no no, we'll get there. I I, I got it. I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do." Literally just scared and hiding from having to do it. Um, And so he was very kind and gentle in his sort of prodding of, okay, um, we need to get you actually, yeah, it's all fine and good. You can play the arrangements. It's all fine and good that you can do the accent and quote lines He said, but we need to start having you like breathe and do this. He was very instrumental in that. And he was very subtle. He could have been more harsh on me. I would, I, I would have appreciated that. But it's okay because I got there. I, I, I finally did a play. There's a book play, and I got cast to do it in a, a bunch of regional theaters, um, and I've worked with a bunch of different directors, and they were the ones who really helped me. Because, like Jamie said too, it's like it's very, it is hard to do that sort of outside-in thing. You really want to feel it, and I, and I know now when I'm doing it, when I feel it, it's better but it's always good to have that outside eye. Everybody should know that. And, uh, you know, that you really, you need that outside eye. You need somebody to just sort of, you know, help that because you can get really lost in the most brilliant people get really lost in Mm -hmm. the creativity. I mean, the one thing that, you know, that we definitely all have is about making sure that our audience is happy and that we're giving to our audience and that that's the only reason we're there anyway. And some of the greatest directors I worked with work from an audience perspective only. They're like I'm sitting here watching you as an audience member. Did I get it? Did I understand it? Did that make sense? Nope, do it again. Okay, you know, things like that. So, yeah, it's it's, you know, it's 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 tough especially even even with hair and makeup. You know, when I did that movie, when I did the Army of the Dead thing, they let me do my own makeup. I had I had a Marie uh, Larkin who won the Emmy award for Behind the Candelabra was the hairstylist on that particular film by coincidence. So I am wow. wearing one of Michael Douglas with wigs in that film, but the makeup I did myself because, and they offered the makeup department was going to do it for me. but I thought, mm, I don't know that they know that my face is wider here than Liberace's and, and I, this and that. So it's, it's, it's tricky when you do something like that, you know, but I, I you know, again, I, I like you guys. I, I didn't have the length of career as, an impersonator as, as you both have. Um, but I'm already branching into doing stuff on my own again. Um, a little bit of Liberace, a little bit of me and David is not going on stage without a director. <laughs> We've already had that conversation. So, you know, I mean to anybody who's watching, yes, directors are a very, very, very important. And, um, you got some really good ones, uh, right in this little screen right here. Bro, speaking so speaking of
1: directors, James, do you want to break the
3: news? Yeah, let's do
2: it. <laughs> um, you know, what a director can do for you, aside from mirroring back at you, can also push you. Uh, I My mother had great instincts. She, ta- she, she bestowed them on me. I have performers that I'm working with now who I just know where they want to go and they're afraid to go there. And I go, how about trying that? <laughs> and I have a rule, right? My rule is you can say no, but you have to try it once. You can't say no right off the bat. You gotta try it and see, because people sometimes don't know, you know? Uh, but I'm I'm like beside myself over this, uh, sharing this news with you guys. Um, I have directed some spectacular people. Um, but this is going to be so special i am going to direct richard skipper's new solo show yeah on the other side of uh the all of this that he's created uh so we're breaking it tonight uh i'm honored to be asked richard and i and i love well, the know, person I, you've become and i and i yeah, i can't wait i, I can't wait either. and uh you know it's when uh before covid um
1: when i when i was celebrating my 40th anniversary. Of arriving in New York, I went to St. Uh, Luke's on Forty Sixth Street, and Jay Rogers was my director, mm. and uh, and I called Jay, and I said, "Jay, you and I have led similar paths. We're both Southern boys that came to New York and went down our uh, created our own careers, um, and he was the perfect person for that, but." And I'm glad you said what you said cuz I am ready to say push me. Push me outside of this comfort zone that I'm in and yeah. uh and push me to that next level. And uh and I you and I because we've led similar paths. Uh, you know you've walked in my shoes literally. <laughs> Different, size, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Different size but yes. Different size. Well, we've, we've gone down the same path, and I need someone who has that sensibility that's going to be able to be there on both shoulders as the devil and the angel to say, this is where we need to go with this. So, thank well, you. Well,
2: I, I, I hope that I can provide that, but I think the thing that I try to provide the most, and I'm so excited to work with you because you're such a seasoned person, an experienced individual with so much. This is one of the reasons I decided to do lived experience. OK, first of all, the term lived experience is redundant in my view. What are the kind of experiences there? I mean, hello. Uh, and I realized I that a lot of people do not live a lived experience. Oh, well,
3: that's the truth. <laughs> but
2: but truth. see that is the what we've what we've done in our lives. And the worlds that we've we've passed through, and the creative challenges that we've met, and just life. I mean, the past three years almost destroyed me. I mean, truly. And I I know a lot of people had that experience. And I thought, you know, one of the things I say at the top of my show is, "We're still living, so let's have an experience."
0: Yeah.
2: So, what I would hope to do for you, and I don't, we haven't even. Cracked up of what kind of material, what what stories, what I you want to you do. To,
1: I want you to get your lived experience on its feet. Uh, no, I
2: know, i got to get that show done. But um, we to talk. Yes, yes, yes. I Never. just feel like if I do push you, it'll be like any of my other uh, artists that I've worked with. It'll be in the direction that you want to go, but you're afraid to say it. Mm-hmm. you're afraid to go, say, I want to go here. Like what I'm doing in lived experience, I'm not, I'm not asking for a medal for bravery, okay? But to get up on stage and to do a little tap dance and to sing in my own voice uh, after doing, I just played Fagin and Oliver this summer, you know? It's oh. it's very easy to talk like that, but it's different to well, be- in- I think I want to talk about that for a moment. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
1: But you and I have something in common uh, beyond everything that we've talked about. And that's our love for Goldie DeVere. And Goldie and I were, we had talked about going to see you. I was going to surprise you. And then almost the entire company gets COVID. I know. And you had to shut down the show early. What this did that the... do to you psychologically?
2: Well, it's horrible. And I talk about it in the show. You know, uh, I i was playing La Caja Fall. It was the first role I'd ever leading role I'd ever been offered without an audition from people that I loved who i built relationships with. We've made it through one week of performances and went into lockdown. And then I didn't work again for two years. I did a show last summer up in Massachusetts and then Fagan and Oliver this summer out in Sharon, Connecticut was the first thing I'd done since then. And my dream, one of my dream parts and Yeah, we got two weeks out and everybody got COVID and COVID, you know, but that's the essence of it, isn't it? It's so fleeting. But you got great reviews. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And those children working with those kids, they were me at that age. You know, Uh, we had a a young woman named Phoebe, a 13-year-old girl uh, uh, playing Artful Dodger and just chewing it up. And she's got the instincts. She's got an actor in her. And we had such fun together on stage. And I, I just feel like, I don't know about you, Richard, but you're so wise and, you, and you're so encouraging to people. And you, you, know. And David is as well. I mean, the way he interacted in our band rehearsal yesterday with seasoned people, the the shorthand, but also just the encouragement. That's what we're supposed to be doing at this time in our lives. It I mean.
3: is. Yeah. Yeah. That's how and you young get, people how are you being encouraged
2: good. to tell us to shut up and go away. And I, I no, we've got so much to bring, right? <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. yeah, well, yeah. the show, the, it, it, anybody who does come see this show is going to get to see quite a few seasoned people on stage having the time of their lives, like children. I mean, there's such great message in this show. There's so much, it but, I got to say, it's, it's, you know, to me, as far as acting is acting is like, is for me, it's like, it's like children, you, 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 you create something, you believe it, and so it is, and you do it, you Uh, know,
1: I mean, both of you can weigh in on this, Uh, you have three incredible backup singers. Mm -hmm. And they are all seasoned artists in their own right.
2: And I've directed all three And, and Goldie and I, Goldie DeVere and I have been friends for 26 years. We met selling cosmetics at Henry Bendel in 98 and, uh, and notions she counter. Of, she's oh yeah at the, at the notions counter uh, she is one of my my core friends she is a beautiful soul alex Jesu's and sierra ryan i've directed both of them in their solo shows they can sing anything and do anything and believe me we are not taxing their abilities but they're just doing me a favor and coming and singing some backups on our opening and our closing both of which are going to be a party
3: they are literally um, sunshine on the set like oh. th- th- like literally it's 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 roof off with sunshine and gold and voice and it's it's really exciting i mean we got it's to hear for the first time you know, yesterday yeah yeah
2: and all of us in the same room yesterday i mean David, and David Silliman, who's this incredible percussionist and drummer, ah, and I mean it's brilliant. And he's, I mean, I dreamed of those in my opening number, and he's playing. Oh my god, he started playing, and I was like, like my my love for this work, I know is still intact because it's other people's brilliance that just lights me up. And you know this, Richard. You do. You, you celebrate people.
0: Yeah.
2: I those mm-hmm. and Matt Sharf Glass on bass. He is the I mean, he is sine qua non, and he's not, he's not bad in the ass. And, you know,
1: gay, but it, it's really <laughs> difficult to look at him.
2: So. No, I know, right? <laughs> but I hate like how just, close he was
3: to be in the studio yesterday. I, I wish he had moved <laughs> further away.
2: I know. I know. But Everybody yeah. was like, woo!
3: Yeah, so, but, but like, like
2: just watching people who have all of that craft their fingertips but really just wanting to do something together and bring out the best in each other dave is a great leader i know that he's his performance career is paramount to him but this work that he does as a musical director ranger it as a player as a pianist he's he acts with you he lives with you through the songs I would, I trust him implicitly, and I'm so grateful to him. But just to be in a room full of people, I want people to come and see the show. I want younger people to come, but I created the show for people of a certain age who well, think that I'm they're done. You're not I, done.
1: I love you both, and we could go on forever, but I, I, I'm going to give my final word, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, David, and then, James, you will have the final word, and then we will end with uh, another clip, uh, a celebration of your show, um, yes. Everyone, uh, James, speaking of getting older, he's getting younger. Uh, his birthday is the 26th. He has a show at 930 that night. And that's the night I'm going to go because I want to be there for your birthday. Uh, and if anybody wants to join my party, uh, just reach out to me and let's go together. And let's have a good time. And let's Please. celebrate James and David and everyone else on that incredible stage at the Triad. Um, I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the eighth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call. And let that person know how they've made a difference in your life. Tuesday night, I went to see the wonderful Ava Nicole Francis, who was phenomenal. I was at her show, and Lisa Vigiano, sitting at the next table, came over and grabbed me and said, oh, my God, Stephen Lodfack has passed away. And it was a shock, a year older than I am, an amazing talent, an amazing friend, loved, loved, loved everything he brought to the table. And the next day, I see people posting photographs. I see people posting their favorite memories of him. And I thought, this would have been nice if he had seen this a week before. And we can't do that for everybody every day. But if you pick one person to do that for, it's going to make a difference in terms of how we are dealing with each other. There's a lot of hatred going on in the world right now. But as a lesson I got from church last Sunday is that we are all a cornerstone and we are all the cornerstone of ourselves, our friends, our families, and yes, even our foes. So reach out and love everyone. As my dear friend Sean Monager says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say I don't care what size boat you're on as long as you have a skipper by your side.
0: And with ah. that,
1: I'm going to leave the screen and David, it's all yours.
3: Well, guys, thanks for watching. This is, it's always an honor to be part of, of Richard's show. And thank you, Richard, for celebrating all of us. I mean, you, you just have done it a million times. And on, the eighth person on my Facebook list here is um, Richard Skipper. I guess I'm calling you in a little bit, not a text message, not an email. You're getting a call. Guys, treasure all the relationships that you've made in your life. You know, I mean, I I, this is this is one of the biggest joys to me that I got to spend this time on the air with you all and with Richard and Jamie, who I've known for over 20 years. (laughs) You know, time goes treasure them. They're important. They matter. They make you who you are. They continue to validate who you are. And, uh, you know, we're all better people for the good relationships that we have in our lives. So be who you are do something that you love every day and um i know what you really 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 want to do is come to see lived experience on either october 19th or the 26th at the triad theater in new york city at nine thirty. or you can buy tickets on a live stream so and i know i'm being silly and corny because that's who i actually am but you will love this show. It's, it's, it's a wonderful reunion. I'm so grateful to you, Jamie, for having me do this and bringing us together. We have worked our little tails off our old tails off. Mm-hmm. And it, it and it's, it's really because we're going to bring you a phenomenal show. Wait till you hear this man sing and act and do his thing. Thank you guys for having me on this. I kind of crashed the party, but I was so happy to. And I love all you guys who are watching really, be yourselves, be true, be authentic, be honest, do something great.
2: Love that, David Mayako. You guys, anytime you get a chance to see him as Liberace, whether it be with the, the Piano Men show that he can he does these huge concert stadiums with all these wonderful pianists, or whether it's, this, well, you can't go to the the farewell of uh, Liberace and Peggy Lee out in Palm Springs because that's sold out, uh, but keep an eye out for him. And all I can say to David is, you know, it's been tough logistically. Most things are uh, difficult these days to get together, but I, I'm so deeply grateful for that collaboration that just the magic comes back when you have that kind of history with someone. And all I want to say to people about this show is I put, I took the dates back in March because I wanted something out in front of me to create and to work towards. And the closer I got to it, the more I realized the last three years have have, we're not anywhere near healed from what happened the past three years. And there's a great deal of division and hatred and judgment and exclusion uh in the name of inclusion which makes no sense to me at all and my show is is for everyone it's for the youngins to understand that there was gay culture before them and that we all are still here we can share with you resources and and point you to the right movies and the right recordings and uh uh but for people 50 up you're not done that's the message you're not done if we're still here i mean you mentioned uh richard mentioned jay rogers who I did When Pigs Fly With and do you do with years ago, he's no longer with us. There are others that I've lost, that we've all lost. Brad Bradley, who I toured with on Spamalot, left us suddenly a few months ago. Michael McGraw, great Tony Award-winning actor, uh, 65 years old, left us. Time is short, and let's find a way to come together and create connection and joy. And I, I'm doing it through music. uh uh, with people I love and I'm telling my story as truthfully as I can without being overly indulgent because my clients will tell you I I don't I don't cotton to that but it really is about encouraging people to make something of the time they have and make something of the talents they have and your story is important and I can't wait to tell Richard's story with him in his new show and I'm honored that you asked me Richard and I'm honored that you all joined us and listened in on this uh This wonderful rainy day. And uh please come see Lived Experience at the Triad Theater October 19th to 26th, 9:30 p.m. There's a live stream option. It's awesome. That um it's a it's gonna be a six-camera. It's gonna be like one of these great uh specials that we used to have back in the day, variety specials of music and comedy and fun, and and uh and support live theater and support live cabaret and nightclub work because there's some awesome work going on out there. And Richard, you're next. Let's set up our first rehearsal, all right? Thank you so much, and God bless. Yes! I'm a drag queen? No, I'm an actor. I don't dress like this to dust. Yeah. It's was you. No, I love you. Till the moon's upside down. Stop being balanced, and don't be such a bore. Pack up your talent. Even though our confidence and our optimism have been sorely tested the past few years, let me tell you, there's much more. And we can start again. We can raise a new trail for ourselves. And that's the message of my show. For young and old,